Well, I wonder if you'd like to uh, pick up your uh, handout, and, um, which has got the sixth, or kind of the sixth Lego on the front. And um, you'll see there the reading from uh, God's Word from Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 2 and going into chapter 3. And uh, we're going to have that reading now. I'm going to uh, um, pray now and then uh, let's uh, uh, listen to the Word of God. So let us pray. Our Father and our God, uh, deliver us from hard-heartedness and um, uh, the, the propensity on our hearts that is often that doesn't want to naturally uh, listen and uh, take in your word. We, we do pray that you may deliver us from that and uh, pray that as we uh, encounter our Lord uh, in these words now that we may uh, be uh, truly in awe and wonder of who he is and what he has come to do and uh, who we are in him. And so, Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Mark 2, 23 to 3, 6. And as Matthew said, the reading is in the welcome fire for anyone that doesn't have their Bibles. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? In the day of Abithia, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful for only, only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man was there with a shriveled hand. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, some years ago, uh, driving around busy Sydney, you would often see a sticker on a car or a, on a car window or a bumper sticker on a bumper bar that said something like, I'd rather be sailing. I don't know whether they ever had those in Tasmania, but they were all over the place in Sydney. And um, so there you were, you were stuck in traffic and just sort of crawling along and you'd be behind a, a car with this sticker. And you'd be thinking, okay, we'll raise the sails and... Uh, capture the wind 
and uh, get moving across the sea. Sounds good. Rest, recreation and downtime. It's so important, isn't it? And according to God's good purposes for us, it is a necessity for people. Now, God gave the Sabbath as his gift to people and the religious leaders, as we have already heard in Jesus' day, were really applying all sorts of rules and ruining that day. They really had this strong hatred for the Lord Jesus uh, where he, de he declares that he is the, the Lord of the Sabbath and uh, he's saying that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We've already heard in Mark's Gospel over the subsequent previous weeks that he has made this claim that the Son of Man uh, has the authority on earth to forgive sins and to uh, telling the paralysed man to get up and so his opponents knew what the claim was that he was making. And here again the same thing, declaring that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath that he is God. He made it at creation and rested on the seventh day. And so you uh, would know from Genesis 2, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all his work of creating. Later on, uh, the Lord gave commandments to his people and uh, in Exodus 20, the Lord told them, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall you labour and do all you have to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. They were to do this because in six days the Lord made the Heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And later the Lord gave further instructions. Exodus 31, he says, Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath must be put to death. And again in Exodus 35, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Uh, work, this work business on the Sabbath. Now before we look at what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 2 and 3 here on the Sabbath, my hunch is, as you heard those verses in Exodus, you were sort of probably doing a, some mental gymnastics in your mind and you were sort of thinking, well, was that, that was sort of all back then. Uh, at the time in Israel's history, so we, we don't really need to follow this so strictly as they did. The Sabbath observance. 
the fourth commandment. What about number eight? Do not steal. Does that one apply to us anymore? What about number six? Do not murder. Number ten, do not covet. Number seven, do not commit adultery. So, or maybe only nine of the ten commandments apply to us. Or do any of the commandments of God apply to us anymore? You see the dilemma here. Are we now allowed to work on the Sabbath or aren't we? Do we have a Sabbath as Christians? And if we do, what is it? Well, anyway, look, I'm going to hopefully come back to that in a bit, bit later. But just note that this command comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth who on the seventh day rested and was refreshed. And we know him to be Jesus, the son of man, the maker and sustainer of everything. And so Mark in his gospel tells us that on one Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, is going through the grain fields with his disciples. No work is allowed. Don't even think it. Don't even say the word work on the Sabbath. And here they are, they're picking some heads of grain. And in typical fashion, the Pharisees object. Now look, Jesus, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And to them, what Jesus' disciples were doing was work, harvesting on the Sabbath. Even though... God's law allowed people to enter their neighbours' grain fields and pick grain with their hands. But what also probably ticked off these Pharisees was that Jesus' disciples were going through the grain fields and as they were walking along and collecting their heads of grain, you know what they were doing? They were walking. They were walking on the Sabbath and the rabbis had a rule. We heard about all the rules that were with you know, make up rules and so forth. Well, here's a rule that they made up. On a Sabbath day, you couldn't walk any more than 1,999 steps. Some of us might feel that we can't do that anyway in a given day, let alone on the Sabbath. But, but you say you one more day, one more step rather, made you a Sabbath breaker... Just make the 2,000 steps, you're gone. Big trouble. I've sort of let you know, friends, today, let's make sure you do that step count as you go to and from morning two this morning and as you go for your walk along Buttons Beach later. But what is Jesus' explanation here to them? Jesus answered, he says, "Have Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Uh, He's referring to a time in 1 Samuel 21 
uh, where king, the king in waiting, that's King David, right? He, uh, 1 Samuel 21, he entered the house of God. These are in the days of Abiathah the priest, and uh, there he ate the consecrated bread, the bread that was only allowed to be eaten by the priests, and he gave some to his companions. Now there's Jesus, and he's sort of saying to the Pharisees, surely you know about that account, don't you? You're the um, ones who know the scriptures so well. That's what David did. You know the account, don't you? And you see, everybody looked up to David. He was the hero of Israel, the great king of Israel. There he is eating this bread in his need, in his great hunger, in his great desperation, in great danger, being hunted by King Saul. And what David did could well have been on the Sabbath because we know that the bread was replaced, it was removed and replaced with the twelve on a Sabbath day. Did the penny drop? You, you Pharisees have your strict requirements and your, your rules and what is allowed... They're stricter than David and the high priest and what they're doing as recorded in the Holy Scripture. They had elevated their rules and requirements, their traditions, above the Scripture and it burdened the people and it put them in chains and it ruined the purpose of the Sabbath. So you couldn't untie the knot of your shoe on a Sabbath day. You had to wait until the Sabbath was over to do that work. If you tore a garment, you would put a patch on it, but you were allowed to only put one stitch on the patch. No more. You could write one letter of the alphabet on the Sabbath, administer first aid to injured people on the Sabbath, but only when life was threatened. You couldn't put a dislocated shoulder back in place on the Sabbath or, a, or put a splint on a broken wrist or say a building collapsed on people and, um, okay, so there you are, you're getting rid of the debris and you want to see if somebody survived and if they're sort of dragged out from the building and they weren't going to die, well, you couldn't administer first aid to them. And if there's any of the dead bodies in the debris there, you couldn't move them out until the Sabbath was over on Saturday night. Rules that prohibited doing good on the Sabbath. If David could feed his companions the bread, why shouldn't one greater than David see his companions fed? Companions of God's king the Lord of creation who would have taken that grain and possibly made bread to eat on that Sabbath. And he says, what I say to you can do on the Sabbath settles what you can do on the Sabbath. It is made for mankind to serve mankind its purpose is to bless, to renew, to refresh, to break from work so people don't wear out, to give their bodies a break 
so fields, animals, servants can recover, rejuvenate, rest. And people can handpick some grain in a field for food as needed. Jesus is declaring his authority as the Son of Man of the Sabbath, claiming to be the Lord of creation. Well, this just blows their mind. And no wonder they want to get rid of Jesus, which Mark tells us took place on yet another Sabbath. As Jesus displays this time that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He declared it, now he displays it. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, it's probably Capernaum, where he's already done such amazing things. And we're told about a fellow there who's there with a shriveled hand, a disfigured hand, an unusable hand. Certainly not a life-threatening case. To heal the man would be considered a Sabbath violation. And according to the Jewish rabbis, Jesus should tell this guy, come back tomorrow and if you want me to fix your hand, I'll do it then. But they've got their notebooks out. They've got their spies out. And out of the corner of their eye, they're watching him carefully. And Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows what's on their hearts. I mean, he could have taken the fellow out the back and fixed him up. What does he do? Step forward. Stand up in front of everyone. He wants everyone to see this. And this is the only time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus initiates a healing where it isn't asked of him or people approach him on it. He's really asking the fellow to risk his life. He didn't need this. He didn't need to be exhibit A in the case that Jesus is trying to prosecute. But the first thing the fellow wanted was to get back the use of his hand. Jesus just puts the case to his enemies with the question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. They just heard the clearest logic, the clearest truth, but they didn't acknowledge it. They didn't admit he was right. They were plotting to kill the giver of life on the Sabbath, and Jesus knew it, and it was the worst possible violation against the Sabbath to kill the author of life, plotting evil, whereas it is lawful to do the good, to save life on the Sabbath, for the paramedic to arrive at the home of someone who's fallen and broken their arm, for the farmer to feed and water the livestock in times of drought, for the nurse or doctor to attend the sick on the Sabbath, for Christians to visit the housebound. The Sabbath is for man. Jesus didn't tell him, come back tomorrow, I'll do it then. Stretch out your hand now. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Without a touch, without a hold, without a carry, without a lift, only a good word. That was Jesus' labour on the Sabbath. Did you note Jesus' emotional response in verse 5 where he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts? 
he, he wasn't just annoyed. He was furious. He was outraged. He was deeply distressed. This pained his soul because they cared more about their rules and traditions than the well-being of a suffering man. Hearts so hard, they would not receive his truth. Hearts so calloused, hearts not willing to accept new insights, so set in their ways. Well, it's sin enough. And they went out and began plotting with the Herodians, the political allies of the Pharisees, how they might assassinate Jesus. Just reflect with me, would you, on God's wisdom in this. They were plotting the downfall, downfall of that revolutionary to their system. But through Jesus' death, he made possible a rest that remains today. The promise of entering that rest still stands today. And that's why we gather for church on Sunday. The promise still stands, we have a rest to enter. It isn't a law, it isn't a burden to keep. The writer of the Hebrews gives us warning and encouragement about this, and the warning is from the Old Testament people who fail to enter that rest, who fell short. And why was that? As you read the account in chapter 4, they heard the message about God, but it had no benefit for them. Good news, gospel to them, God's word, God's promise, but it did them no good. They didn't believe it. They failed to enter because of disobedience. And using them as an example, and quoting from Psalm 95, the writer of Hebrews says, of way of encouragement, he says to his audience there, strive to enter that rest. Don't fall short of it through hardness of heart to God's words. The Christian's rest isn't retirement. Our Sabbath is still to enter. Through faith in our Lord Jesus. Because Jesus has brought to each one of us, his people, the ultimate rest through his resurrection. That Sunday of his resurrection, the first day of the new creation began. As God's faithful people, our practice should be, where possible, to gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Just as the early church did. As we make every effort to enter that rest. And give ourselves to the hearing of our Lord's word. All of us have some degree of callousness on our hearts. There's always some degree of stiffness in our necks. It can shield us from or against God's word. But we do not want to grieve our Lord to cause him 
to be angry by being so hard-hearted and not listening to him. I hope there's no one in this room this morning so hard to God's word that it would give our Lord cause to be angry. Or to grieve him with a heart that's so calloused. I wonder as you heard this story this morning, do you respond in your heart, Lord, you are the Lord of the Sabbath day. What is it that you want from me? Hearts that are open to embrace whatever it is you are saying, to do what is good and to do whatever I can do to save life. Let's not misuse this first day of the week. There aren't any rules here. No expectations about what you can and can't do. Just warnings, encouragements for our good, for our Sabbath, the first day of the week. to do good and to save life, to do what is right, to break from our regular work. God has established that pattern. He rested from his work. He made the seventh day holy. And now Jesus has rested from his and gives us our day of rest, the first day of the week. And that reminds us that there is an ultimate rest that is still ours to enter. Make every effort then to enter that rest that Jesus, the Lord of the ultimate Sabbath, has achieved for you. Father in heaven, we praise you for our dear Lord and Saviour, bringing him to be our saviour, to fulfil all the requirements of your law. And we hear that law and we know that we fall short so often, so regularly. And so, Father, as we can contemplate the, the first day of the week, the Sabbath rest that we are still to enter, may you please grant us that right understanding to enter that rest, to gather together and to give ourselves to doing the good on the day you've given. And Father, please equip us in this. Thank you for each one and may we be people that do spur each other on in this great uh, destination that Jesus has gone for us, ahead for us. So continue to inspire and strengthen us, Lord, and uh, save us from error and hard heart.
Good morning, friends, and welcome to our service this morning, uh, particularly if you're visiting with us for the first time. It's uh, lovely to have you here. For those of you who are regulars, it's uh, great to have you here with us as we gather as the people of God in the name of our Lord Jesus, and uh, we seek to build and encourage one another in our Christian faith, our belief. This morning we are continuing in our sermon series which is in the Gospel of Mark and uh, we reach a point in that uh, reading in the uh, Gospel where Jesus uh, is challenged about his understanding of the Sabbath and I think it's one of those questions isn't it what is the purpose or the role of the Sabbath uh, in the life of the Christian well we're going to have a think about that this morning as we gather we're also going to be uh, uh, encouraging and be, being encouraged as we install uh, a new air conditioner. No, um, we're installing our dear brother uh, Sam. And uh, as uh, you know, we have been praying and uh, thinking about uh, the role of a deacon. And uh, Sam is uh, today going to be installed in that role. And uh, we uh, look to God to work in and through him for that. And also we are going to be uh, encouraging each other in song and uh, committing ourselves to the Lord in prayer and many other things as well. So it's good to have you here, uh, one another, uh, the people of God uh, from all sort of shapes, walks of life, uh, but a common faith, I trust, in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is doing in the world and through his people. The writer of Hebrews uh, warns and encourages God's people about entering a rest. That's not entering a rest, <laughs> that's entering a rest. <laughs> uh, uh, don't we like to rest? Don't we like it when we're tired and worn out to rest? And uh, the rest that uh, he writes about is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And he says in chapter 4 that anyone who enters the rest that God gives rests from his own work just as God did from his. We uh, know, don't we, that in uh, creation God rested on that seventh day and looked back. And uh, in fact, as you go into the book of Exodus, it actually says he rested and was refreshed. Interesting, isn't it? Um, and then, then the writer of Hebrews says this. This is the sort of the, the punch of it, if you like. He says, let us therefore make every effort. <laughs> you know, rest, make every effort. Interesting, isn't it? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest that God has for us so that no one will fall by following uh, the example of disobedience, that is the example of the Old Testament people that failed to enter the rest. Why did they fail to enter the rest? Well, they heard the word of God, but they disobeyed it because their hearts were hard. We know it would be like that. We want to enter the rest, and uh, this morning we will be encouraged to enter that rest as the people of God, and uh, we meet today to keep pressing on uh, that we might enter it. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we um, praise you that Jesus has gone to enter his rest as he finished his work. And Lord, that we are people who also uh, are to make every effort following our Lord Jesus in the kingdom that he has come to bring. That we might uh, live for him and um, serve him and be strengthened in him. And as we gather today, Lord, that you might do your most gracious and good work in each of our lives and build your people here as you uh, would promise. And so, Lord, please uh, meet with us and help us this day and uh, may all glory be given uh, to the name of uh, the Lord Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to now stand and uh, sing. We're going to sing a song about the, uh, the coming of the kingdom, our desire that it might indeed uh, fill the whole earth as the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the message of hope and forgiveness is uh, shared and uh, he might use people like us in that great cause of the kingdom. So let us stand, we're going to sing now, uh, Let Your Kingdom Come. One 
might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth till your sovereign work on earth is done. Let your kingdom come. We're very grateful for all the ways in which people uh, serve uh, in God's church, in the body of Christ, and uh, all of us have a role or a function or a part to play in the building of the kingdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that is uh, uh, the call on all of our lives. And we're grateful this morning that uh, uh, Ellie Deong has uh, served as a deacon here for the last, I think it's three years, I've been right in saying it, yes, in, in, in one of the ways in which he indeed serves in our church and we are indeed grateful for that and of course this has opened up an opportunity now for uh, a replacement in that role uh, and so this morning we do have the uh, privilege and the joy of installing as a deacon our brother in Christ Sam Nancaro. Now, from the epistles of, uh, in 1 Timothy in the New Testament, we have the qualifications of a deacon. And um, this is what it reads, 1 Timothy 3. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. I don't know whether you were, as you were sort of hearing that, but much of these qualifications really have to do with uh, a godly character. And, uh, and like... All of us, um, we pray that Sam will grow in godliness, especially now as he commenced today in this office as deacon in the life of our church. Over the uh, last few weeks to, um, prior to today, our church has uh, considered Sam's suitability to serve as deacon and uh, we're now rightfully able to proceed to install him this morning. So let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, that in your wisdom and power you have established in your church the office of deacon. And we thank you for all those in our church family who have served in this role. We thank you for all who are continuing to do so. For Ellie's service as she concludes her time as deacon and for uh, Christina and Lavina as they continue on. Thank you for their work through them. May they exemplify what it means to serve others in great humility, that all of us may truly learn 
how to serve in your church. And as our brother Sam Nankara is soon to take these vows of service in your name, we pray for him. Fill Sam with your Holy Spirit, with the spirit of wisdom and strength from the, for the tasks before him. Enable him to work well with others and uh, with um, our existing deacons as well. We pray that you would grant to Sam that humble dependence on you to remain in you as your word remains in him and bears much fruit. May we, as your congregation, encourage Sam, respect him and accept him as he exercises this ministry to the glory of your name and the welfare of your church. And so this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to ask Sam to come out to the front here. If Sam would like to come and... Uh, sort of stand here and I'm just going to ask Sam some questions and in a few moments I'm going to ask all of us some questions and there's an answer that will appear on the screen if you would like to join as a congregation in uh, saying that answer. Now I'm going to ask Sam uh, some questions and uh, he, um, pardon me, he's all primed, he told me earlier, he's exactly, <laughs> so, so no pressure, no pressure. So Sam, do you believe uh, that uh, in the call of this congregation, you are being called by God to serve in this office of deacon. Do you believe that the scriptures are the Old Testament and New Testament, the word of God, and in them we find the way of salvation being taught? And do you promise to carry out the work of the office of deacon faithfully to love the church and its members to live a life worthy of the calling you have received? By the grace of God, with all my heart, I do. Good. <laughs> all right, let us, let us pray. Look, Jeff, I might ask Jeff to come out here. Would you like to just come stand alongside Sam yeah. and um, just put your hand on him. This is a sort of a sign, the New Testament... Um, Performed as we set apart people for service, let us pray. May God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to be a deacon in his church, guide you by his word, equip you with his Holy Spirit, and so bless your ministry. So may you serve to the glory of his name. Amen. I'm going to ask the congregation to stand, if you would. I'm going to ask you the questions. And um, here on the screen you will reply if you wish. I'm sure you will. Do you before God and one another receive this servant Sam Nancaro as your deacon in the church? Do you promise to enable the diaconate to function meaningfully in its ministry of compassion and mercy? And will you respect support, pray, and encourage Sam as he serves as deacon. Wonderful. Please sit down. Let us pray. God of all mercy and giver of all comfort, grant that in some way 
Like you, Sam will exercise his ministry among us with cheerfulness, mercifully, and with genuine concern for the needs of others. And may he seek to fully depend on you and grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sam. And God bless you in this great work in his name. Some church community news. And uh, this next week, next Sunday, uh, Etienne uh, Duwilsum. I probably got that wrong. But anyway, it's Etienne from the Devonport Church will be here next Sunday, the 27th. And um, I will be over in Devonport. So this is, a, we call this a swap, I think. Uh, so next Sunday will be that. That's what's happening. So I'm just giving you a heads up about that. So if you see Etienne, please make him welcome. And uh, I'm sure many of you know uh, Etienne and will be very uh, blessed as he comes to minister here. Uh, on Friday, this coming Friday, is our family fun night uh, in the hall. So please come and join us from about uh, 5.30, 5.30 onwards, around about, we finish up about 8 o'clock. Sometimes if it gets out of control, it might go up to 10, we, we don't know. But just keep a lid on it. Remember the neighbours, but um, please come along at 5.30 this and on Friday and enjoy some time in the hall. It's nice and warm, lots of food, and it'll be a lovely time. Um, for the Father's Day, Father's Day is coming up on the 2nd of September, rather that is the 3rd of September, but we're going to have a breakfast, fellas, here on the 2nd of September, the Saturday, from 7 o'clock through to 8.30, an opportunity to um, be, be at the breakfast and bring a mate along uh, and come and uh, be part of, um, of a, a, good, a good time together. And, uh, yeah, it's good. I've got, I've got this leaflet. Um, I don't know whether people have seen it. It's a leaflet that uh, we prepared and uh, I used it the other day to hand it to a fellow in McDonald's. He was eating his bacon and egg roll and I said to him, mate, I'll, I'll show you a bacon and egg roll. Come to the breakfast, you know. Um, but anyway, no pressure, no pressure, Joe. Okay, <laughs> okay. So Joe's on the case with that one and a few, other, a few of the other blokes are on. So come along, guys. At Friday, it'd be terrific. Oh, sorry, let me get that right. Saturday, the 2nd of September at 7 o'clock in the morning. I think the sun's up by then these days, isn't it? Good. The AGM, uh, that means annual general meeting, if those, yeah. That's on, on the 10th of September uh, after the service here and we're going to have lunch. Blimey, there's a lot of food going on, isn't there? There's family fun night, there's breakfast and there's lunch. Wow. Well, anyway, there is the 10th of September uh, and lunch after that. Um, there are going to be some... Uh, reports that are going to be disseminated uh, in the near future for you to read and know what's happening, what has been happening and a few things that have been, that are coming up in the pipeline of course, some important things. Uh, and the final thing I would say is that there is, yes, there is a, a voting, there's a voting process for the church logo. Um, yes, you see, you thought the referendum was pretty heavy going with the voice, well, that's, that's nothing. We've got six options of these uh, logos to choose from. 
And uh, I'm sure we'll all agree on the, on the, on the one, won't we? <laughs> uh, but, it, but that's the process that we thought the management team of the church, we thought we'd go through this process and come to, you know, sort of whittle it down from six to three to one. And so there they are. They're all up there. You can see them displayed there. Some of you are, may have already worked out your vote already. Some of you are on the fence. Some of you don't like any of them. Some of you may, doesn't matter. It, it's, we're all different, aren't we, on this one? So please pray and think that through. What is the logo that you think would be the, the best one? And we just order them from one to six, one being the, the most, um, your, your preference, your highest preference of the, on the church logo. Um, there we are. I think, I think I've covered all of that church community news and um, just to uh, encourage everyone to come to morning tea uh, after the service and uh, up in the hall, have a lovely time up there. Well, friends, um, let us pray. We're going to come to the Lord and ask him, please, to uh, forgive us. We uh, are a people that are saved by grace. We are the people who are his very own, but um, we do fall short in our living for the Lord. And so we want to ask God to uh, strengthen us to live his way and to turn away from sin. And so um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer and, and then following that prayer and assurance, then, I'm, then Henny's going to come and continue in congregational prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we, um, we know of uh, your love for us. You so loved the world that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ. And indeed, your love is an everlasting love for us, your people. Lord, we um, acknowledge this morning that in thought, word and deed, we tend to go our own way. As much as you have redeemed and made us your own, we, we are sorry for the times that we do reject uh, your will for our lives. That's in your word, clearly. So we are sorry for our sins. Sorry for the things we've done or said or thought. And uh, Lord, we want to turn away from them. And we pray that because Jesus died for us and you have shown us great mercy, you would forgive us, each one, cleanse us and change us. And grant that by your Holy Spirit, you would make it you would, you would work in us to live for you and to please you in every way and we pray this for the glory of the lord jesus amen there is that great uh, assurance in the bible from the psalmist who says as far as the as high as the heavens are above the earth so so great is god's love towards those who fear him and as far as the east is from the west so far has the Lord removed all our transgression from us in Jesus' name? Amen. Let us pray together. Dear Father God, 
Our hearts rejoice this morning for the privilege of gathering as a congregation to worship your holy name. Your holiness is too great for our simple human minds to fathom and your great love for sinners like us too vast to understand. Yet you invite us every day, every hour to come to you and find restitution in your inviting arms. So we come to you, O Lord, this morning to confess that we are sinners, as Matthew said from Isaiah 59, which states, Our iniquities have separated us from you, God. Our sins have hidden your face from us, so that you will not hear. But then the beautiful promise in the first book of John, we are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because of that, because that is the yearning of our hearts to hear, to be near you and to sit at your feet cleansed and at peace. We come to you this morning to give thanks. You have blessed us in such abundance and we just look, if we just look at what is happening elsewhere in the world. We are free to worship, have abundant food and shelter and purpose in our lives. And above all, we have a hope that no one can take away. But we also acknowledge that this hope is not something we can just keep to ourselves. But this is something we have to share. Share with our neighbor, with our friends, with family. Yes, with everyone that cross our paths. The world needs it as we see so many struggle to find meaning in their lives. Let us be the guiding light in your hand by which you bring the gospel to the nations. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will lead us in our mission and vision strategy for our church to become disciples that proclaim the gospel to our community and to the world, and that this venture will create a driving force in our congregation to share to love, to praise, to make disciples as you command us in your word. We also want to pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are prosecuted because of their faith in you, O Lord. We think especially of those in Pakistan and in India. We see in Pakistan nine churches being burned down, many houses. We pray that your promises from scripture will comfort them in this, 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 these desperate times, and that they will be steadfast in their love, in their faith. We want to pray for our community and especially for City Mission and the wonderful work they do. So many in our community suffer in these tough economic times, and we pray that their work will bring relief to the poor and needy. But not, not only bring physical relief, but also bring spiritual renewal in those they help to become followers of Jesus. Lord, we want to pray for those in our church that are unwell or struggling with physical pain, but also for those that are struggling emotionally and spiritually, and where it involves relationships that you will provide restitution, resolution and understanding that can only be found in you and your word. We thank you, Lord, for Sam and his deaconship and the leadership position that he is going to fill in the church. Bless him and his family as they adapt to new responsibilities and roles in your kingdom. 
We want to pray for this service, and especially for Matthew who leads us. Give him the strength and direction to bring your message. Let it find a place in our hearts and minds to inspire and encourage, to live in accordance to your will. We pray all this not because we deserve anything, but in humble submission. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You got me? Whoa, hello. There I am. Now, guess what? It's time for kids talk. And Matthew asked if I needed the board. That's because he loves my drawings so much. Do you like my drawings? Just looking up into the distance to avoid eye contact. Good, good one, good one. Rightio. Well, you going to go to family fun night on Friday? Play games? Who else? I'm going to ask lots of questions of people out here today, so we're going to watch them a lot as well. So you, you get to do this a bit. Turn around and have a look. Can you do that? Can you turn around and have a look at everyone else for me? Good. Awesome. Yeah, fantastic. All right. So, first question. Who's coming to Family Fun Night on Friday? Hand up. All right, there's a few there. A couple of people looking at each other going, what are we doing on Friday night? Are we going to be able to go? Okay, cool. All right. Um, one, of the fam- one of the games I really like to play is Uno. Have you ever played Uno before? Yeah? You like Uno? Let's see if anyone else likes Uno. Put your hand up if you like to play Uno. You've played Uno before. Quite a few people. Excellent. Great. Hands down. All right. <sighs> Uno. Now, rules. <laughs> rules. Interesting one. I was going to bring a pack of Uno, but I'll be honest with you, I couldn't actually find a normal pack. I could only find Uno Flip, and that was going to get confusing. So, Uno. How do we put one card on the other? We, if they're matching the same number, can we put the card on top? Yeah? Okay, let's check if everyone else agrees. If the cards number match, can we put a card on? Yeah, hands up if we can. Right, excellent. Well, most people, does anyone disagree? You can't put, if it matches, okay, good. What about, oh, Michael thinks you can't do that. What about colour? Is that the other way we can match them? If they're both green, can I put a green on a green? Okay, let's check if everyone else agrees. All right, hands up if we can put green on green, same colour. Yep, right, excellent, hands down. Cool, all right. They're not really controversial ones. Let's get controversial. Okay, I've got a draw four card, which is great when you've got like your sister or your brother beside you, you can put it there and you have a little giggle because I've got to pick up extra cards. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Can they put a draw four on your draw four to make someone else draw eight? Is that allowed? That's allowed? All right. Hands up if you think that's allowed. Right, hands down. Hands up if you think that's not allowed. Oh, oh, we've got a few. Interestingly, some in the same family and also we might have some arguments break out in a minute. All right. What about a draw two on a draw four? Can I put a draw two on a draw four if it's the same colour that, that you can't do that? You can't? Okay. Turn around. Hands up if you, can, if you can put a draw two on a draw four. All right. Hands down. Hands up. If No, that's not allowed. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. All right. This one's even crazier. If I put down a draw four... 
and I've got a skip of the colour that they said, can I put that on so it skips me and the person beside me has to pick up for? No? Some people are like, no, and other people are like, that is a great idea. <laughs> I really like that idea. Let's check and see what people think. Hands up if you think that's correct and a good rule. Yep, yep, awesome, hands down. Hands up if you think that's a load of rubbish, not the rules. Right, okay, hands down. Wow. Do you like adding rules? Like in your house, do you have special rules for games that maybe when you play them with other... No, you don't? Do you know what? Sometimes, particularly with you, know, there's a thing called a house rule, which is kind of like your family. And so things like Family Fun Night, it's fantastic when everyone starts to play a game and they go, no, you can't do that. And other people say, yes, you can. No, you can't. That's our rule. Well, is that the real rules? Let's get the real rules out. Okay. I've got the you know rules right here. Here's a good one for you. All right. Last one and then we're going to move on a little bit. If you've got to draw four and you want to put it down and the next person, you want to kind of get them, yeah? You know what I'm talking about, yeah? Chelsea's next and you want to make her pick up four. Yeah, all right. If you've got a red card and it's red there, can you put a draw four on if you've got a colour in your hand that's the same as the colours that's already there? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, you are? Okay, cool, let's check. Hands up if you're allowed to do that. Doesn't matter what's in your hand, you can put up a draw four. Okay, ooh, okay, about half of us. Hands up if you think that you're not allowed to do that. All right, good, hands down. Hands up if you're not really sure. There's a few people, okay. Because I pulled the rules out, they're like, oh, hang on, we might be wrong here. Do you know what? You're not allowed to do it. It's against the rules. It says in here it's against the rules. All right? Um, however, there's a hitch. You can only play this card when you don't have a card in your hand that matches the colour on the card that's previously played. Wow. Do you think a lot of people do that? Do you think people don't always follow the rules? Yeah. What's really cool in the rule here is, and this, this bit's great, if you think someone's cheating, you can challenge them, and then if they have got the colour, they've got to pick up the four cards. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, it's good when you have to make people pick up cards, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? They're, they're, look at all these rules. There are all these rules. Every time you go and play, you know, do you get the rules out and check them, or do you just play? You just play, yeah? And you believe what other people say about the rules, don't you? Yeah, okay, well... Today we're actually going to be learning and talking a little bit about some of the rules that are in the Bible. There were these group of people called the Pharisees. They loved rules. They loved rules so much that they liked to add new rules, add extra rules. I've got a sister who's like that. When I go to her house to play Uno, you know, she has so many crazy rules. You know the one about skipping draw four? She's got that rule. You can reverse a draw four you can make the person who put it down actually have to pick up four cards, which is kind of cool, but it's not a real rule. It's crazy. It's crazy. And there's some crazy rules that the Pharisees added to the rule of the Sabbath, right? So there was this rule about the Sabbath, which is remembering that a day is set aside in a week for the Lord to be able to rest and be able to reflect on the Lord and helping other people. But do you know what? They added all sorts of rules to that. Extra rules. You couldn't carry stuff. You couldn't help people out. You couldn't cook. You couldn't clean. Maybe that's not a bad thing. <laughs> you couldn't do all of these things. They just kept adding and adding and adding and adding rules. 
Who came up with the rules originally for Uno? Was it my sister or was it the people who made the game up, Mattel? Yeah. Who came up with the original rule about the Sabbath? Was it the Pharisees or was it God? God. So if Mattel wants to change the rules or how the game's played, they're allowed to because they came up with the rules. Yeah? So if God wants to change things around a little bit, he's allowed to because he came up with the rules. He's God. Does that make sense? That might help us a little bit while we start thinking about how some of the laws and rules in the Old Testament apply to us today because we've got to see them through Jesus. And Jesus is God. Jesus has authority. We've been learning about Jesus having authority over sickness, Jesus having authority over evil spirits, Jesus having authority over teaching, being able to teach in a way that nobody else could, over creation and over rules. Yeah? So we're going to pray and ask that God helps us to understand more of how Jesus' authority over rules can help us to live our lives in light of Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, let's put our hands together. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we can look at the Old Testament rules and laws in light of Jesus. Help us to understand how the maker of the rules can change the rules in light of who he is and what he's done for his people. Help us this morning, help Pastor Matthew and also in Sunday School, that we will learn more and more about who you are and about how this applies to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before you go, some people are very, very particular and were counting that there were only five things on the screen before about the, the um, logo. Just like people who really, really like rules, people really, really like things to be exactly correct, and there were only five up there. The sixth one is very similar to the one that's on the front of the news sheet. Okay? Just for those people who were distracted by that and wouldn't be able to focus until you knew what the sixth <laughs> one was. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jeff. I'll be very careful next time I'm playing Uno at my place. Um, and, uh, yeah. Great song we're going to sing now, which um, really flows on lovely from what Jeff was encouraging us and teaching about how Jesus is the one who really fulfills everything. Uh, it's all about him. And the, the, the uh, song is about considering Christ, who is the source of our salvation and uh, where God demonstrates uh, the great mercy towards sinners who fail to keep uh, God's law, his rules. And so Jesus, the one who came and did that for us. And so let's stand and consider him, consider Christ as we sing. Christ, the source of our salvation, that he should take the punishment for me. 
Though he was pure, a lamb without a blemish, he took the sins and nailed them to the tree. My Lord and God, you are so rich in mercy, mere words are long, are not sufficient thanks, so take my life, transform, renew and change me, that I might be a living sacrifice. Consider Christ, that he should trust his Father, in the garden of Gethsemane So full of dread and fearful of the anguish He drank the cup that was reserved for me My Lord and God, you are so rich in mercy Mere words alone not sufficient thanks, so take my life, transform, renew and change me, that I might be a living sacrifice. Consider Christ for death he has defeated and he rose appearing tall to see and now he sits at God's right hand in heaven and there prepares a resting place for me my Lord and God you are so rich in mercy Dear words alone are not sufficient thanks So take my life, transform, renew and change me That I might be a living sacrifice Well, I wonder if you'd like to uh, pick up your uh, handout, and, um, which has got the sixth, or kind of the sixth Lego on the front. And um, you'll see there the reading from uh, God's Word from Math uh, Mark chapter 2 and going into chapter 3. And uh, we're going to have that reading now. I'm going to uh, um, pray now and then uh, let's uh, uh, listen to the Word of God. So let us pray. Our Father and our God, uh, deliver us from hard-heartedness and um, uh, the, the propensity on our hearts that is often, that doesn't want to naturally uh, listen and uh, take in your word. We, we do pray that you may deliver us from that and uh, pray that as we uh, encounter our Lord uh, in 
these words now that we may uh, be uh, truly in awe and wonder of who he is and what he has come to do and uh, who we are in him. And so, Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Mark 2, 23 to 3, 6. And as Matthew said, the reading is in the welcome fire for anyone that doesn't have their Bibles. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? In the day of Abithia, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful for only, only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man was there with a shriveled hand. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, some years ago, uh, driving around busy Sydney, you would often see a sticker on a car or a, on a car window or a bumper sticker on a bumper bar that said something like, I'd rather be sailing. I don't know whether they ever had those in Tasmania, but they were all over the place in Sydney. And um, so there you were, you were stuck in traffic and uh, sort of crawling along and you'd be behind a, a car with this sticker. And you'd be thinking, okay, we'll raise the sails and... Uh, Capture the wind and uh, get moving across the sea. Sounds good. Rest, recreation and downtime. It's so important, isn't it? And according to God's good purposes for us, it is a necessity for people. Now, God gave the Sabbath as his gift to people and the religious leaders, as we have already heard in Jesus' day, were really applying all sorts of rules and ruining that day. They really had this strong hatred for the Lord Jesus uh, where he, de he declares that he is the, the Lord of the Sabbath and uh, he's saying that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We've already heard in Mark's Gospel over the subsequent previous weeks that he has made this uh, claim that the Son of Man uh, 
has the authority on earth to forgive sins and to uh, telling the paralyzed man to get up and so his opponents knew what the claim was that he was making. And here again the same thing, declaring that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, that he is God. He made it at creation and rested on the seventh day. And so you uh, would know from Genesis 2, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all his work of creating. Later on, uh, the Lord gave commandments to his people and uh, in Exodus 20, the Lord told them, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall you labour and do all you have to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. They were to do this because in six days the Lord made the, heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy and Later, the Lord gave further instructions. Exodus 31, he says, Observe the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath must be put to death. And again in Exodus 35, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Uh, work, this work business on the Sabbath? Now, before we look at what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 2 and 3 here on the Sabbath, my hunch is, as you heard those verses in Exodus, you were sort of probably doing a, some mental gymnastics in your mind and you were sort of thinking, well, was that, that was sort of back then. Uh, at the time in Israel's history, so we, we don't really need to follow this so strictly as they did the sabbath observance the fourth commandment what about number 8 do not steal does that one apply to us anymore What about number six, do not murder? Number 10, do not covet. Number seven, do not commit adultery. So, or maybe only nine of the 10 commandments apply to us. Or do any of the commandments of God apply to us anymore? 
you see the dilemma here. Are we now allowed to work on the Sabbath or aren't we? Do we have a Sabbath as Christians? And if we do, what is it? Well, anyway, look, I'm going to hopefully come back to that in a bit, bit later. But just note that this command comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who on the seventh day rested and was refreshed. And we know him to be Jesus, the son of man, the maker and sustainer of everything. And so Mark in his gospel tells us that on one Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, is going through the grain fields with his disciples. No work is allowed. Don't even think it. Don't even say the word work on the Sabbath. And here they are, they're picking some heads of grain. And in typical fashion, the Pharisees object. Now look, Jesus, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And to them, what Jesus' disciples were doing was work, harvesting on the Sabbath. Even though God's law allowed people to enter their neighbour's grain fields and pick grain with their hands. But what also probably ticked off these Pharisees was that Jesus' disciples were going through the grain fields and as they were walking along and collecting their heads of grain, you know what they were doing? They were walking. (laughs) They were walking on the Sabbath and the rabbis had a rule. We heard about all the rules that were with you know make up rules and so forth. Well, here's a rule that they made up. On a Sabbath day, you couldn't walk any more than 1,999 steps. Some of us might feel that we can't do that anyway in a given day, let alone on the Sabbath. But, but you say you one more day, one more step rather, made you a Sabbath breaker? Just make the 2,000 steps, you're gone. Big trouble. I've sort of let you know, friends, today, let's make sure you do that step count as you go to and from morning two this morning and as you go for your walk along Buttons Beach later. But what is Jesus' explanation here to them? Jesus answered, he says, have you, ne- have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Uh, he's referring to a time in 1 Samuel 21 uh, where king, the king in waiting, that's King David, right? He... Uh, 1 Samuel 21, he entered the house of God. These are in the days of Abiathar the priest. And uh, there he ate the consecrated bread, the bread that was only allowed to be eaten by the priests. And he gave some to his companions. Now there's Jesus. And he's sort of saying to the Pharisees, surely you know about that account, don't you? You're the um, ones who know the scriptures so well. That's what David did. You know the account, don't you? And you see, everybody looked up to David. He was the hero of Israel, the great king of Israel. There he is eating this bread in his need, in his great hunger, in his great desperation, in great danger, being hunted by King Saul. 
And what David did could well have been on a Sabbath because we know that the bread was replaced, it was removed and replaced with the twelve on a Sabbath day. Did the penny drop? You, you Pharisees have your strict requirements and your, your rules and what is allowed. They're stricter than David and the high priest and what they're doing as recorded in the Holy Scripture. They had elevated their rules and requirements, their traditions, above the Scripture and it burdened the people. And it put them in chains. And it ruined the purpose of the Sabbath. So you couldn't untie the knot of your shoe on a Sabbath day. You had to wait until the Sabbath was over to do that work. If you tore a garment, you would put a patch on it, but you were allowed to only put one stitch on the patch. No more. You could write one letter of the alphabet on the Sabbath administer first aid to injured people on the Sabbath, but only when life was threatened. You couldn't put a dislocated shoulder back in place on the Sabbath or, or put a splint on a broken wrist or say a building collapsed on people and, um, okay, so there you are, you're getting rid of the debris and you want to see if somebody survived and if they're sort of dragged out from the building and they weren't going to die, well, you couldn't administer first aid to them. And if there's any of the dead bodies in the debris there, you couldn't move them out until the Sabbath was over on Saturday night. Rules that prohibited doing good on the Sabbath. If David could feed his companions the bread... Why shouldn't one greater than David see his companions fed? Companions of God's King, the Lord of creation. Who would have taken that grain and possibly made bread to eat on that Sabbath. And he says, what I say to you can do on the Sabbath settles what you can do on the Sabbath. It is made for mankind, to serve mankind. Its purpose is to bless, to renew, to refresh, to break from work so people don't wear out, to give their bodies a break so fields, animals, servants can recover, rejuvenate, rest. And people can handpick some grain in a field for food as needed. Jesus is declaring his authority as the son of man of the Sabbath, claiming to be the Lord of creation. Well, this just blows their mind and no wonder they want to get rid of Jesus, which Mark tells us took place on yet another Sabbath as Jesus displays this time that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He declared it and now he displays it. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, it's probably Capernaum, where he's already done such amazing things and we're told about a fellow there who's there with a shriveled hand, a disfigured hand, an unusable hand, certainly not a life-threatening case. To heal the man would be considered a Sabbath violation. 
And according to the Jewish rabbis, Jesus should tell this guy, come back tomorrow and if you want me to fix your hand, I'll do it then. But they've got their notebooks out. They've got their spies out. And out of the corner of their eye, they're watching him carefully. And Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows what's on their hearts. I mean, he could have taken the fellow out the back and fixed him up. What does he do? Step forward. Stand up in front of everyone. He wants everyone to see this. And this is the only time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus initiates a healing where it isn't asked of him or people approach him on it. He's really asking the fellow to risk his life. He didn't need this. He didn't need to be exhibit A in the case that Jesus is trying to prosecute. But the first thing the fellow wanted was to get back the use of his hand. Jesus just puts the case to his enemies with the question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. They just heard the clearest logic, the clearest truth, but they didn't acknowledge it. They didn't admit he was right. They were plotting to kill the giver of life on the Sabbath, and Jesus knew it, and it was the worst possible violation against the Sabbath to kill the author of life, plotting evil. Whereas it is lawful to do the good, to save life on the Sabbath, for the paramedic to arrive at the home of someone who's fallen and broken their arm, for the farmer to feed and water the livestock in times of drought, for the nurse or doctor to attend the sick on the Sabbath, for Christians to visit the housebound. The Sabbath is for man. Jesus didn't tell him, come back tomorrow. I'll do it then. Stretch out your hand now. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Without a touch, without a hold, without a carry, without a lift, only a good word. That was Jesus' labour on the Sabbath. Did you note Jesus' emotional response in verse 5 where he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts? He, He wasn't just annoyed. He was furious. He was outraged. He was deeply distressed. This pained his soul because they cared more about their rules and traditions than the well-being of a suffering man. Hearts so hard, they would not receive his truth. Hearts so calloused. Hearts not willing to accept new insights. So set in their ways. Well, they'd seen enough. And they went out and began plotting with the Herodians, the political allies of the Pharisees, how they might assassinate Jesus. Just reflect with me, would you, on God's wisdom in this. They were plotting the downfall downfall of that revolutionary. 
to their system. But through Jesus' death, he made possible a rest that remains today. The promise of entering that rest still stands today. And that's why we gather for church on Sunday. The promise still stands. We have a rest to enter. It isn't a law. It isn't a burden to keep. The writer of the Hebrews gives us warning and encouragement about this. And the warning is from the Old Testament people who fail to enter that rest, who fell short. And why was that? As you read the account in chapter 4, they heard the message about God, but it had no benefit for them. Good news, gospel to them, God's word, God's promise, but it did them no good. They didn't believe it. They failed to enter because of disobedience. And using them as an example, and quoting from Psalm 95, the writer of Hebrews says, of way of encouragement, he says to his audience there, strive to enter that rest. Don't fall short of it through hardness of heart to God's words. The Christian's rest isn't retirement. Our Sabbath is still to enter. Through faith in our Lord Jesus. Because Jesus has brought to each one of us, his people, the ultimate rest through his resurrection. That Sunday of his resurrection, the first day of the new creation began. As God's faithful people, our practice should be, where possible, to gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Just as the early church did. As we make every effort to enter that rest. And give ourselves to the hearing of our Lord's word. All of us have some degree of callousness on our hearts. There's always some degree of stiffness in our necks. It can shield us from or against God's word. But we do not want to grieve our Lord to cause him to be angry by being so hard-hearted and not listening to him. I hope there's no one in this room this morning so hard to God's word that it would give our Lord cause to be angry or to grieve him with a heart that's so calloused. I wonder as you heard this story this morning, do you respond in your heart, Lord, you are the Lord of the Sabbath day. What is it that you want from me? Hearts that are open to embrace whatever it is you are saying, to do what is good and to do whatever I can do to save life. 
Let's not misuse this first day of the week. There aren't any rules here. No expectations about what you can and can't do. Just warnings, encouragements for our good, for our Sabbath, the first day of the week. To do good and to save life, to do what is right, to break from our regular work, God has established that pattern. He rested from his work. He made the seventh day holy. And now Jesus has rested from his and gives us our day of rest, the first day of the week. And that reminds us that there is an ultimate rest that is still ours to enter. Make every effort then to enter that rest that Jesus the Lord of the ultimate Sabbath has achieved for you. Father in heaven, we praise you for our dear Lord and Saviour, bringing him to be our Saviour to fulfil all the requirements of your law. And we hear that law and we know that we fall short so often, so regularly. And so, Father, as we can contemplate the, the first day of the week, the Sabbath rest that we are still to enter, may you please grant us that right understanding to enter that rest, to gather together and to give ourselves to doing the good on the day you've given. And, Father, please equip us in this. Thank you for each one and... May we be people that do spur each other on in this great uh, destination that Jesus has gone for us, ahead for us. So continue to inspire and strengthen us, Lord, and uh, save us from error and hard-heartedness. We might hear your word and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, well, we're going to now sing our next song, uh, which is a focus, I gather, on the person of Jesus, where we are saying prayerfully, give me Jesus. Oh, 
today and we thought about the place of resting on our day the Lord's day and Jesus how Jesus has fulfilled that by entering his rest the writer of the Hebrews tells us the promise of entering that rest for us still stands so let us be careful that none of us not none of you be found to have fallen short of it and he uses the example as I mentioned at the beginning of the service of the gospel being preached the message that they heard yet their hearts were hard in disobedience. The writer says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And interestingly, he then turns to the word of God, telling us that it is sharper than any double-edged sword and uh, reveals the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Father, we pray that you might please uh, apply and bring your word into our hearts this day. And as we uh, depart from here and go to morning tea and our other activities, we do pray that you would go with us as your servants to live for your praise and your glory. And with this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our final song, Be Thou My Vision. But no 
Just in concluding, those those of you who are visiting with us this morning, if you'd like to head up for our morning tea, that'd be fantastic. We'll be with you shortly. Um, as was mentioned at the beginning of the service, we'll just have a quick voting for the um, logo. So if you grab a seat for just a moment, but if you're visiting with us, we've got people up there already with morning tea ready to go. Um, feel free to head up. If you want to stay, you're more than welcome. That's fine. Um, so... Just before I hand these forms out, um, I'm going to ask Alan if you'd like to come up just to just briefly speak a little bit about each of the logo designs because these are, um, this is some of the work that Alan's done uh, in preparation for this. So um, I'll hand over to him and while he's doing that I'll hand out these um, slips. Thanks Alan. <coughs> Jeff, could I grab one of the uh, sheets? That'd be great. Um, <clears throat> in a moment you'll be just given one of these uh, forms which just gives you a bit of an outline of some of the logos there. Um, I have no stake in any of them so you might hate all of them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if you don't like any of them there's an uh, option for feedback down the bottom so feel free to just uh, put your comments there. Um, <clears throat> If you can also just read the top, because I think that gives you a little bit of context for choice of your logo. Um, when you're putting together your logo choice, um, one of the things that might be helpful for you to think about, beyond just, oh, that's a pretty looking shape, or that's a, that's a nice looking uh, 
uh, font, whatever you, you think, that might be important. <clears throat> but think about your target audience, where these logos might be seen in the community, and what impression does that give about our 